audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a minute. John chapter 2. As many of you know, we're in a series called This Is Us. And what we've been trying to do through these messages is identify the core values or the culture that we believe God wants for this church, that, that exists at the heart of this church. And these are the things that we believe we should be. That we're not perfect in all of these, as one of our core values says. But these are the things we believe we should be, the things that we believe the Holy Spirit wants us to be. And so every week through this series, we've been identifying another core value, and we, we put it on a banner, and it's out there on that wall. And so if you haven't been here with us, you can kind of read through those and, and know that this is who we want to be. And so let me just give you a quick recap if you haven't been here with us. The first week we talked about the value that we believe a life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. None of us have arrived. We are all in process. Whether you've been serving Jesus for 50 years or five minutes, we know that none of us have arrived and we're all still growing. We're all becoming like Jesus. Number two, we believe that no one is perfect and everyone is welcome. Essentially, like Pastor RJ was saying, we're just glad you're here. It doesn't matter what your present situation or what your past situation was. We are just glad you're here. We're, we're glad that we get to open our arms for um, people who are believers, people who are, are, are maybe having questions about God or are not believers yet, and, and, and even people who, who really don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, but they've been drugged here by a friend or a family member. We're glad you're here too, and, and we want to welcome you, and we're so, so thrilled that you're here with us today. So we believe that no one is perfect and everyone is welcome. Number three, we believe that excellence honors God and inspires people. We're not perfect, we know that, but we will give our absolute best, amen? We, we talked last week about the fact that um, God deserves our best, but not only that, God expects our best. If you're a believer, then, then you know that you ought to give your best in everything you do to honor God. We believe that excellence honors God and inspires people. Last week, we, we talked about this value, that we believe people far from God matter to God. And there's an understood resolution to that. If people far from God matter to God, they better matter to us. And we better act and behave in a way in which they know they matter to us. Last week was probably one of the top 10 weeks that we've ever had here at North Shore. It was an amazing day. Um, my wife, Melissa, was up here speaking. Terry from Breaking Free Ministries was here. And then we had the pie auction last Sunday night. Many of you already know the results of the pie auction through that Facebook video that went out. But if not, let me give you the results. And, and if, if this is all new to you, we raised money last week to help women that are in, stuck in this sex trafficking, human trafficking industry and prostitution. And it's this group in Minneapolis called Breaking Free Ministries and last week we raised $26,648.12. Amen. Amen. And all that money, every 
penny down to the last 12 cents went to breaking free ministries. We didn't see a dime of it. And, and I love the spirit of generosity that's welling up inside of the church and, and the fact that you are willing to give so generously and sacrificially to see lives changed in a community that, that we will probably never engage in specifically. And, and that's so cool. I, I was talking to somebody before church and they were, they were telling one of their neighbors about um, what happened and, and what God did. And they said, we raised $26,000 for it. And he he was like, wait a second, you mean 2,600? No, 26,000, and it's just all glory to God, so that's really cool, and, uh, and so we were able to put that into practice. Literally, we got to put our money where our mouth is last week and, and live this value that people far from God matter to God, and so a huge thank you to Melissa and the women's ministry and um, Terry from Breaking Free Ministries and all of you who gave so generously, and, uh, and, and another shout out to Patrick Johnston for driving those bids up at the pie auction. Um, it was awesome, and we had a blast, and so that, that's cool. That's happened last week. Um, so today, we're talking about our fifth core value, and this is it. We believe that God works through God's people. We believe God works through God's people. And the cool thing was that, that that value was put into practice last week in that that money that was raised is, is in a very real sense miracle money for these women there in Minneapolis. And God used you, his people, to work a miracle for them in Minnesota. And so we already got to see this Work out last week. God works through God's people. Some of you have heard me say, I say this often, especially in our 201, 301 classes, that I believe as the pastor of this church that it's my job to convince you that it's your job to do what you believe is my job. Let me say it again. It's good. I believe that it's my job as the pastor to convince you that it's your job to do what you believe is my job. That wouldn't fit on a banner. So, so we changed it, that God works through God's people. But that is a core belief in me. I believe that it's your job to pray for your family and friends, not mine. I believe that it's your job to study Scripture, not me. I'm not supposed to study Scripture for you. It's your job to study Scripture for yourself. I believe that it's your job to serve, your job to encourage, your job even to pastor. Every single believer in this place has a group of people that exist around them that you have influence over that God has called you to pastor. I believe that it's your job as a believer to evangelize people that are far from God in your community and in your reach. I believe that it's your job to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life and in your family. I believe that it's your job to operate in the gifts of the Spirit in your life, in your home, in your community. I believe that it's your job to do what you believe is my job. And so this is what we believe, that God works through God's people. The work of the kingdom does not get accomplished through pastors, through paid Christian professionals, the work of the kingdom of God is accomplished through the people of God. All of us. Whether you've been serving the Lord again for 50 years or five minutes, God works through God's people. And if you think about this, this is a theme that exists in about 90% of the messages that we share from this platform. 
They'll always have some sort of God has a plan for you. God wants to use you. God speaks to you. God is calling you. God wants to work in you. God wants to do a work through you. I believe that pastors have a unique calling to equip the believers, and the believers have a divine directive to forcefully advance the kingdom. God wants to do his work through his people. And so the heart of this value really comes from a message that I spoke in 2014. And what we've realized is that through this entire series, these are messages that we have been preaching really for the past five years. And and they've just been stirring in our hearts over and over and over and over again. And we look back and we realize that God has really been speaking these things the entire time. We're now just listening in a way where we're identifying them and we're, we're marking them as cores. And so I want to share a part of a message from 2014 again with you here today. And so in John chapter 2, this is Jesus' very first miracle. It's one that everybody knows about. It's the story where Jesus at the wedding turns water into wine. And so we're going to walk through this and see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through this today. So John chapter 2 verse 1 says this. On the third day there was a wedding in Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. I think it's important before we go too far to notice that Jesus was a man who lived among the people. Though he was um, uh, uh, God in human flesh and, and something completely different than just a man, he was a man that lived with and among the people. He hung out with people. He built relationships with people. He wasn't relationally separated, cut off. He wasn't a hermit. He understood the culture of the day. Jesus did. Jesus worked in and operated in the culture of the day. But this is so important. He was never influenced or changed by the culture of the day. And and this model that Jesus gave us is something that all believers, we should work really hard to emulate. We have to, as believers living in this society today, we have to understand the culture of the day. Yes? We have to be aware. We have to know what's going on. We have to be able to operate in the culture of the day. We have to be able to exist in this and survive in the culture of today. But we can never be changed by the culture of the day. We have to know where our citizenship lies. And scripture tells us that you are strangers and aliens in this world. You were not created for this world. So learn the culture, but don't get comfortable because you belong. You are a citizen of heaven. And this is just a temporary stopping off point. So don't ever become a citizen of earth because God created us to be citizens of heaven. So we have to know that. We have to understand that. And so Jesus understood the culture. He worked in the culture, but he was never influenced by that. And in this sense, um, Jesus was just kind of a regular guy in this area. He enjoyed friendships and relationships. And what you see is they weren't like planning their guest list for their party and going through, hey, yeah, let's, let's get Peter in here. You know, Peter's a good dude. Um, Thomas, you know, he's okay, you know, kind of. Put him in the kid's table and stuff like that. And, uh, and then when they came to Jesus' name, they, they didn't say, oh, no, don't invite Jesus because if Jesus is there, um, we're not going to be able to have any fun, you know. Don't let Jesus. That's not what they said at all because Jesus was fun. And this is something about, there was something about Jesus that just drew people in. People wanted to be around Jesus. 
Too oftentimes we get this image in our mind of Jesus as the cranky manager marching down the hall. And when you hear him coming down the hall, you have to sit up straighter and, and straighten your tie and, and look busy um, so that you can kind of impress him. And when you hear Jesus is coming, your anxiety level spikes and you're like all worried and all that stuff. The truth is people really, really, really liked Jesus. They liked being around Jesus. They liked inviting Jesus to their things. Everybody loved Jesus, except the Pharisees, the religious people who killed Jesus, but that's a different different message, right? So this is what we see. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. This is why he was invited to the wedding along with his disciples. And, And again, this is what happens when you treat people like they matter, isn't it? goes along with the, the value that we talked about last week. Something changes in people when you treat them like they matter. And everywhere Jesus went, no matter who you were, he treated you like you mattered. John chapter two, verse three. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now we gotta get some context to understand what's really going on. Um, so, in that day, weddings were a really, really big deal. They're a big deal today, but nothing compared to weddings in Jesus' day. Um, and this wasn't just in a ceremony where the pastor was up top and they came walking down the aisle or anything like that. There was, actual, there was no actual ceremony, but it was like a week to two week long party. Just a, a full on celebration. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, what this looked like. And how it started was when the bridegroom was ready, when the man was ready and, and everything was set up and squared away, he would go to the bride's house and he would receive her and he'd grab her hand and they would walk to the, the place where they were having the celebration. They would make the pronouncement and they would come in to the marriage supper and it would essentially kick off a week long party. And so in this week long party, Um, running out of wine during this week to two week long party doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. If some of you are planning graduation parties and receptions and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, we need this much punch and this much cake, and and, uh, hopefully we have enough, and if we don't, you know, I'll just send one of the other kids to Walmart and get some more 7-Up for the punch, you know what I mean? And so you think that if you're going to throw a party that's going to last two weeks, chances are pretty likely that you're going to have to have a couple of trips to Walmart. Yes? You know what I'm talking about? The problem with that day was they had no Walmart, and one of the most important aspects of their culture was this idea of honor. Honor was big. Today, um, it may be wealth or influence or power or maybe even Twitter followers, right? But in that day, it was honor. That was premium. It was all about honor. And running out of wine at a wedding celebration like this was very dishonoring to your guests. It would have been considered a slap in the face. It wasn't just an oversight or a mistake. It would have been an insult of the worst kind. Running out of wine would be like saying, we don't value you. We don't respect you. We don't care enough about you to rightly prepare for you. Several years ago, man, I don't know how many years ago this has been. Um, The first year we did Trunk or Treat for the church. And Trunk or Treat is is that outreach we do on Halloween where we get the trunks, we decorate the cars, and we invite the community to come in. We hand out lots and lots of candy for them. And so several years ago, we were doing our very first trunk or treat, and it was kind of my project. It was, it was my idea. It wasn't original with me. I stole it from a different church, but I implemented it. That's what we do, right? We steal other people's good ideas, and then we... We sell it as our own. And so that's what I did. And uh, so we had all of our people, and we did the, 
the announcements and we put the posters up around town and we were all geared up, we were excited, we were ready to go and then people started coming. And it's a two hour long event and within the first 30 minutes we were completely out of candy. We had no more candy. And everybody was coming up to me, Pastor Chris, we don't have any more candy. And I'm just like, you're not reacting the same way I did. Like, I was like, panicked. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. And, and there was still an hour and a half left. And like hundreds of these savage little kids with their sacks, these pre-diabetic kids are coming in and we're like, candy, candy. And we don't have any candy. And so... I remember, you know, saying to Dan Dowling, Dan, get in, the, get in the pickup and go over to Walmart and get every piece of candy you can find. And I stopped him before he left and I said, look, I think you heard me say get a lot of candy. I didn't say get a lot of candy. I said get every piece of candy they have in the store. And so he goes, he comes back about 15 minutes later. He's got a truck full of Smarties, just a mountain of Smarties. He said, this was all they had. And I said, this will do. And so everybody was handing out Smarties, handing out, Jesus loves you, here's a Smartie. Jesus loves you, here's a Smartie. Right? And it was like all this panic in me because what would it have said to our community to do this event, invite everybody in, and then half an hour in say, sorry, I don't have anything for you. Get to stepping, you know, there's nothing for you here. And it's not about candy, it's not about smarties, it's about honor and preparedness. Listen, there are so many people in Hastings and in the surrounding town that are confused, hurting, and lost. Struggling, dealing with pain and hurt. There are children who have no place to go to feel loved. There are children who have never felt acceptance and kindness from an adult figure in their life. There are teenagers who desperately need to know that they are valued and deserving of love and respect. There are drug addicts who need the freedom that only Jesus can provide. And there are many who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and need a church that will aggressively seek them out and tell them about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so my fear was, what are we telling them? What's the message that we're delivering when 30 minutes into an event, we have absolutely nothing for them. It would be completely dishonoring, completely disrespectful. And we have to be a church that is constantly saying, we value you. In the big things and in the small things. We value you. We honor you. And more importantly, we will be prepared for you. When you come into this place, we will be ready for you. We will be a people ready to open our arms and extend community and say, we are so, so glad you're here. Come on in, let us take care of you. We have to be a church that is prepared and ready to honor. What I love about this church is our ministry teams do this all the time. Our ministry teams are amazing at taking care of people and honoring guests and honoring the body of Christ and honoring those in need and those who are lost and ministering to them. 
Um, but we're not just going to be a church that's content to maintain the status quo. We have to keep moving forward. And as God continues to bless this church, we're going to need more people that are going to get involved in the ministries within this church and outside of this church to play a part to forcefully advance the kingdom of God because we believe that God works through God's people and we don't ever want to be a church that runs out of wine or smarties. Amen? And so the cool thing is, we have seen this happen already in extraordinary ways. Extraordinary ways. In 2014, when I I shared part of this message originally, on a Sunday morning, we scheduled about 40 ministry volunteers throughout the church. About 40 ministry volunteers in 2014. Today, now, we're scheduling over 100 ministry volunteers every single Sunday. And these people are serving, and they're working, and they're smiling, and they're playing every single Sunday. Why? Because God works through God's people. And and Yeah, amen. That's good news. And the more people that are engaged in the ministry of God, the more God can do. So this is what happens in the story. Mary walks up to Jesus and tells him, hey, you know, son, they have no more wine. Verse four, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I always want my kids to respond like Jesus. Don't you? And I I have conversations with my son, Abram, my oldest, all the time, and and he knows scripture pretty well. And um, he's, he's got sort of this like, Christian lawyerness in him, and so he'll argue with me using scripture, and um, he'll often take it out of context and manipulate the scripture to prove his point, and I can do that just as well, so I take another scripture out of context and, and manipulate it, and we argue back and forth like using scripture, and we're like, oh, okay, and, um, and so I always, we always do this, and so I want my son to always respond like Jesus, so I'm going to do my best to convince him to respond um, to his mother just the way Jesus responded to his mother in this moment. I'd love to see how this happens, Melissa. I just want to watch. I may even pay him to see it, but I'd love to see it. Like, Melissa comes into the living room and says, hey, Abram, the basement's a mess. He stands up and he looks at her and says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The show has 15 more minutes, you know? I'd love it. I just want to watch. <laughs> Abram, run! You know? <laughs> but the reality is this, this feels very disrespectful, but it's not. It's important to see what's going on. Uh, this was not with the demeaning tone that it might feel like today, but his response was very intentional. It was a tender response. He was communicating with his mother the same way he was communicating about his mother when he was on the cross. It was very intentional, but what he's doing in this moment is he is, he is taking off his, his son hat and he is stepping into the role of Messiah. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm talking to you right now in this moment, not as your, your son, but as your savior. And I need you to see what's going on here through the heart of God, through the Messiah. And so what he's doing in this moment, he's breaking off from the control and the leadership which he up to this point willingly submitted to his mother and saying, I'm not talking to you as a son, but as a savior. I need you to know that my hour has not yet come. It's not time for me to reveal myself as the Messiah yet. 
He tells her, this isn't my problem, this isn't my time. The hour to reveal to the world all that Mary knew was true about Jesus had not yet come. But there was something else going on in that. And in that conversation, I think Mary saw something. Because this is the very heart of Jesus. To make other people's problems his problems. I want to say that again because some of you need to hear that. Some of you are here today and you have lots of problems. You have lots of issue. The heart and the ministry of Jesus is to make other people's problems his problems. You see, Jesus didn't have to turn the water into wine. It wasn't his problem. It didn't affect him, but he did. In the same way, Jesus didn't have to come to earth and live as a man, but he did. He didn't have to deal with things like hunger and exhaustion and cold. And he didn't have to deal with things like anxiety, so much anxiety to the point where he was actually sweating drops of blood. Jesus didn't have to deal with hypocritical religious people with a murderous spirit, but he did. Jesus didn't have to endure the cross. He didn't have to to appease God's righteous judgment of sin, but he did. Sin wasn't Jesus' problem, but he made it his problem. Isn't that good? I think sometimes we forget that Jesus didn't have to come, but he did. And so a few minutes ago when we were singing that song, you are good, you're good, just over and over and over again, when we think of everything that Jesus has done, what other way are we supposed to respond? You know, I, I, I know that some of the music now gets a bad rap because it's like, hey, we sing three words over and over and over again. Come on, get some new words. But the reality is, what else are we supposed to say? You're good. So good. So good. Over and over and over and over again. When we get what Jesus has done for us, how else are we supposed to respond? But worship, you're good. I don't know what else to say, Jesus, but you're good. In fact, Revelation tells us that there are angels designated to stand around the throne room of God and sing holy, holy, holy over and over and over and over again on repeat for all of eternity. In essence, what they're saying is, God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're good. And when we realize this, no matter what pain, no matter what trial, no matter what circumstance we go through, no matter what our past looks like, when we realize that God shows up and makes our problems his problems, what we look at him and say, man, you're good. God, you are good. God, you are good. And so it's funny how this plays out. Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? That he addresses the problem anyway. Even though it's not his problem, he addresses the problem. I want to stop for a second because I think this is an important piece. I've, I've always had a problem with this miracle and not the grape juice versus alcohol debate, although that's part of it. You know, al- alcohol is a destroyer in our culture today. And, uh, you know, I have my, my thoughts and opinions about that, but we'll save that for another day. Amen. But in a, in a different sense, it just seems a little out of place for the Son of God to be wasting his time turning water into wine. Have you ever thought that? And I've thought that for a long time. God, Jesus, why are you doing this? Don't you have better things to do? Aren't there about a million more important things that you could be doing? 
In essence, it feels like to me like, like we're reducing Jesus down to like the gopher running to Walmart for more wine. You know what I mean? Like, save him for the big things. You know, don't, don't use Jesus for this. I mean, I mean, he has a lot of other things. Why is he wasting his first miracle on this? seems strange to me because I feel like Jesus is extremely overqualified for this. And as I was praying through this, I felt like the Holy Spirit say, this is exactly what will keep my people from being used by God. Because too many of us think that we're overqualified for the simple tasks that the Holy Spirit leads us to. We think we're too big of a deal. We think we're too important. We think our time is worth too much. And we convince ourselves that we're overqualified. One of the things that I absolutely love about this church is that there are many of you who are serving in this church who are way overqualified to be doing what you're doing in this church. But you do it, and every time you do, you look like Jesus. You just look like Jesus. We have some smart and talented women in this church, women with degrees and business owners who are way overqualified to be changing diapers and singing Jesus loves me to babies who don't understand a word that they're saying, but they know that God works through God's people, and so they willingly and humbly give. We have people who are way overqualified handing out bulletins, greeting first-time guests, pointing directions to the bathroom, um, making lattes in the coffee shop. People who are way overqualified in this church fixing toilets and pulling weeds and mowing the grass, but they do because they know that God works through God's people and everything we do is done with excellence so we can honor God and inspire people and they're a part of the kingdom working together. I love going into tiny travelers in that preschool age on Wednesday night and see people who are way overqualified sitting down with three-year-olds, coloring and playing Play-Doh. I, I didn't say this in the first service, but, but Mark Reinhardt, he serves in, in our Rainbows, which is our preschool ministry. I don't know if Mark Reinhardt is in here. I think they left, so I'm just going to say this. He's not a young pup, okay? <laughs> I mean, he's old. No, 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 I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I love Mark, and he sits down there, and he plays with those kids, and they love him. They love him. My daughter just turned six this last week, and she told us, like the day of her party, she said, um, I invited Mr. Mark to the party today. I was like, oh, you did? Yeah, because she loves him. And I mean, he's way overqualified, but he serves, and they love him, and the kingdom is growing, and he knows that God works through God's people, and he's going to give in that way. It's awesome. I love seeing it. We have people who are way overqualified playing nine square with teenagers on Wednesday night, giving them themselves to love on kids and teenagers, and they serve because they know this, that God will work through them. I'm amazed how sacrificially overqualified people are willing to give of themselves. And I look at this scripture and this miracle, and I think Jesus was way overqualified to turn water into wine. Just like many of you are way overqualified to be serving in the ministries that you are. But the truth of the matter is that you are never more like Jesus than when you are serving those who are beneath you. Um, Jesus was way overqualified to put a towel around his waist and to get down on his knees and wash his disciples' feet. Way overqualified. So overqualified, in fact, that it embarrassed the disciples. 
And once he started, all the disciples felt like jerks. And they were like, no, 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 Jesus, you're not doing this. He said, yes, I am, because I need you to see something about the kingdom. Because the kingdom is made up of people who are way overqualified doing simple tasks to honor people that are far from me. And Jesus did it, and he showed the way. Verse 5, Mary, Jesus' mother, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And this is the key. Do whatever Jesus tells you. In the simplest form, this is who we want to be as a church. This is who I want to be as a person. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we get off track and, and we start pushing our own agendas. But our goal in ministry, in life, in relationship, in everything we do is to just do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Even though Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, there's no, my, there's no wine. He looks at her and says, not my problem. I don't know if he said it with a smirk or if he had that twinkle in his eye or what happened, but there was something in that conversation where Mary, knowing her son and knowing what he was capable of, got this sense that maybe only a mother can get uh, after Jesus told her no. Just like, have you ever told your kids no to ice cream before and they really knew that your no was a pretty weak no? You know what I mean? Like, can we get ice cream? No. But they alert like, hey, we're going to go get ice cream, so let's just be cool, okay? But there was something in that no that Mary understood that Jesus was about to do something. And so Jesus says, you know, mom, not my problem. And then she goes to the disciples and the servants. She said, listen, he's up to something. Do whatever he tells you to do. And, and man, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you this. So many of you are in this place. You've been praying for something. You've been asking God something over and over and over again. And all you've been hearing is no. But I want you to know he's up to something. And if you listen and operate in obedience and do whatever he tells you to do, you're going to see God do something that you never thought possible in your life. So she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So you get this. Six stone jars, huge, that weighed about 120 pounds apiece, full of um, 20 to 30 gallons apiece, and they were there for the purification. It's essentially, they were the, the wash basins. When everybody would come into the, the wedding party, that's where they would wash their hands or the utensils and the plates and dishes and stuff like that, the cups. This was like a big communal like washing place. Well, Melissa and I went to Benin, Africa to do some ministry there. Um, before lunch and dinner, every time we would come into this house and they would have a big bowl full of water and that's where everybody would clean their hands. They had a little uh, you know, little thing of dish soap that had been filled up with water so many times. It was mostly water, almost no dish soap anymore, but, but you just had enough suds to like smell that it was kind of smelled clean. And they would always make Melissa and I go first. And they did that to honor us. And, and, you know, the missionary said, you have to go first. Don't say no. Just do it because they're wanting you to do that. And so we'd go. We'd, we'd dip our hands in and we'd wash them and, you know, shake them off. And, and then everybody else came after us and washed their hands. And there was about 15 to, you know, 12 to 15 people deep. And by the time the last person came in, that once clean water was very dirty very mucky and brown and, and almost black because it was so dusty there. And um, that basically is what these bowls were used for. They, people would wash their hands. And so they weren't the cleanest jars and it wasn't the cleanest water. And so these were the jars that Jesus was talking about. And um, they held about 30 gallons of water a piece. So they weren't small. 
Verse 7, so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And so there's a couple of things happening here. Um, Maybe those jars were empty, and it was clean water. And so let's just say those jars were empty, and it was clean water. Okay, you're talking about 180 gallons worth of water that they had to put in those jars. Okay, if, if you had a hose connected to a spigot and you took that and you filled every single one of those up with the hose water, that would take a really long time. Yes, 180 gallons, that would take a long time. But there was no hose or anything like that. And so what Jesus is telling them is, is go to the well, dip the bucket down, crank it back up, bring it back to the jar, dump it in, and then go do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again, 180 times until these jars are full. Just do it again and again and again and again and again and again. Jesus isn't asking them to do something small. He's asking them to put a lot of work into it, okay? I want you to notice the spirit of excellence. These people going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, filling the water up, they didn't just stop when it was kind of close to the top or three-quarters full. Or, you know, that's good enough. It says they filled it to the brim. This was a huge job. They filled it to the brim. Now, maybe they weren't completely empty, and so they only had to go back and forth 90 times. Still a big job. But if they weren't completely empty, imagine how dirty that water would be, okay? It's like some people, they, they keep those above-ground pools up. Um, throughout the year and in the winter months and in like the fall months, it, they, they drain it down about halfway full and then you like look in there and you're like, man, do you have creatures living in there? Because there's like all moss and grossness and dirty stuff. It would be like pouring, you know, half of that with fresh water and saying, hey, this is clean and good. No, it would be filthy, dirty, gross and disgusting. And so we don't know how long this took, but it was a big job and, and we don't really know how dirty this water was Chances are it was pretty filthy, disgusting. This was a big job. It didn't make a whole lot of sense, and they did it over and over and over and over again. Man, I wish we could tally the time accumulated by the men and women who work every single week to make sure that this place is ready to honor those that come through the doors. Every single week we have volunteers who are doing it again and again. They're filling jars again. And again, and sometimes it feels redundant. Sometimes it feels like you're not making an impact. Sometimes it feels like you're, it, it's not worth it or this makes no sense or it's silly, but they do it again and again and again and again. And to make eternal impact, it becomes a huge job where we do the same thing over and over and over and over again, but it's bringing glory to God and we know that God works through God's people. So we willingly submit to say yes again and yes again and yes again. Let's bring this thing to a close real quick. Verse eight. And Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Then the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. I want to stop here for a second. This would have taken a tremendous amount of faith. If you are dipping dirty wine or dirty water out of these jars, putting it in a cup, and then you're taking it to the master of ceremonies. Remember, this is a culture of honor. So if you are serving a cup of dirty hand wash water, to a man of influence and power, you better have a lot of faith in the person who's telling you to do this. Now, now I, I, I don't know how you would have responded, but if that was me and Jesus said, hey, dip that cup into the dirty water, think of it like dirty bath water, okay? Here, dip this cup into dirty bath water and go give it to your wife to drink. <laughs> you know, and see what happens. I'm gonna pass on that, Right? Like, you just want to say, Jesus, you got two hands and feet. You go do this yourself. Like, I'll go get the water, 
But I'm not going to serve him because if anybody gets in trouble, I think you could handle yourself better than I could. So, but, but this is what happened. They're serving dirty water to the master of the feast. And the master of the feast, after he tasted it, he called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Thus the first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed him. And the disciples believed him. We don't know at what point the water turned into wine. We just know that before it went into the master of the ceremony's mouth, it had turned into wine. That's faith. And then scripture says the disciples believed him. Typically, the best wine was served first at the beginning of the party. And so this guy, he was surprised when towards the end of the celebration, he served such high quality wine. And so he calls the bridegroom in in front of everybody and he says, essentially, what is this gift that you've given us, saving this, just this wonderful wine till the end? And the groom, the reality, the groom didn't save the best wine till the last. The groom screwed up. He blew it. He disgraced his guest. He failed miserably. But Jesus comes on the scene and gracefully makes up the difference. And here's the problem that I see for many of us, me included, is that we fall so short and we screw up. And in our best attempts, we dishonor people. But Jesus, time and time again, he comes into our lives and he graciously makes up the difference. Then, people begin to compliment us. Wow, you're awesome. This this is amazing what you did. And the problem happens when we sit there and we receive other people's praise and receive other people's comments without deflecting the glory back to God where it belongs. And this happens for me a lot. You know, people, you know, will say, hey, Pastor Chris, that was an awesome message. Thank you so much. You know, I get people that don't like the messages either. But, um, <clears throat> but people come up to me and say, man, that was so good. And, and oftentimes they'll, they'll repeat something that I said to them that changed their heart and life that I didn't say. And, you know, I, I tell them, man, that's awesome. So I wish I would have said that because that's really good. But I think it was the Holy Spirit speaking to you and not me. And it would be easy for me to just say, you know, you're right. I am kind of awesome. But, man, I know, I know, I know that I fall way short. And I goad you into complimenting me sometimes. And I'll create situations where you have to cheer for me. And I'll pat myself on the back. And I, I do that, you know, joking. But man, I know that without God, none of this would be possible. I know that without God coming in and, and filling those empty areas in my life, there's nothing we could do to be effective for him. And Jesus manifested his glory, and scripture says the disciples believed him. Yeah, no kidding, they did. They just saw something amazing. They'd never seen Jesus do anything like this. It was awesome. And this is the key. All of this is leading to this thought right here. The master of the ceremony and everyone else there at the wedding got to experience the benefit of the miracle. Everyone got to taste 
the finished product, but only the servants and the disciples got to witness the transformational process. Only those closest to Jesus and only those doing the work saw the miracle. Only those who were going to the well and bringing water and only those who were looking into the jars and seeing the dirty water got to see and experience the miracle. Only the disciples knew where the water had really come from. Only the disciples got to witness the transformational power of Jesus. Only those who were doing the work got to witness the miracle firsthand. And there are many of you who are a part of this church. You get to taste the finished product. You get to experience the benefits of this church. But you're missing out on the magnitude of the miracle. Because all the time we're seeing God do amazing things. We're seeing people saved, relationships restored, financial blessings. But if you're not engaged in the process, you're going to miss the miracle. And some of you are here and you're experiencing the benefits of it. And, And thank you for being here. We love that you're here. But there's more for you to experience. God works through God's people. We have been a part of this redemptive process from the very beginning. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus is standing in a very pagan place. They're standing in the area that was literally called the gates of hell. There was all sorts of demonic activity around it. And Jesus wanted all of his followers to know that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the mission that I have for this earth. Nothing will stand against it. And then he looks at his followers a short time later and he says, take up your cross and follow me because I'm going to do something redemptive, restorative, and world-changing on this earth. And I want you to be on my team. I want you to be a part of this process. Come and follow me. And he extends an invitation for us to be a part of his ministry, not because he needs us, but because he allows us to be a part of what he's doing. So good. That is so good. And I want you to consider this. There was only one time, only one time that Jesus ever said, don't do anything. Stand and watch. I got this. There was only one time that Jesus was at work and he said, you don't get to participate in this one. Only one time that was on the cross when Jesus bore the weight of all of our sins. That was the only time that Jesus said, no, 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 you stand and watch because this does not concern you or or this does concern you, but this is not your responsibility. This is not your job. I'm going to do all this work. It was when he bore the weight of sin on the cross. That was the only time that Jesus said, you're not helping this time. Man, he is good. Are we going to sing that song, you're good? Is that what you're playing? Good, right? Isn't that so good? That's so good. Stand to your feet. And so Jesus does what we could never do. And then over and over and over again, he's constantly recruiting us to be a part of his team. Hey, I need you to get a jar. Go get a jar. I'll get a jar because I know God is up to something. Hey, go get a shovel. I need you to get a shovel. I'll get a shovel because I know God is up to something. Hey, give to this ministry because God wants. I'll give to this ministry because God is up to something. And we see over and over and over again, God works through God's people. How lucky are we that he looks at us and he says, hey, I don't need you, but I want you. Come and be a part of my team. He is good. He is so good 
so good. God works through God's people. This means that he works through you. Will you let him? Will you let him? We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.